Hi, this is Colin Shaw with a special offer. At the end of the show, I'm going to give you a link that you'll be able to use to benchmark your organisation to find out where you are today in this new and exciting world of behavioural economics and customer experience. We will compare your results against other organisations. All you simply need to do is to fill out a short questionnaire. And the best bit is the report is free. Stay tuned to After the Show. Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So, Ryan, the other day I I was on a flight, um, I went up to uh, Washington, D.C., and I met one of my colleagues that was up there. Um, and we were going to see a client and he lives near me um, uh, in Tampa uh, and basically said he said oh it's great he said um, you know you get a um, southwest flight all the way up to um, all the way up to Washington non-stop and I went hold on I've just flown Delta and and you know I, I, I ended up having to change in Atlanta as you do uh, and and then fly up and I suddenly thought blimey that was my intuitive system um, because I didn't even think about going elsewhere and looking elsewhere. Uh, is that, would you say, a classic example of your intuitive system? Yeah, I think it emphasizes uh, that we all have more than one way of making decisions. And, and sometimes it's it's fast and intuitive and easy, and sometimes it's slow and deliberative. But before we dig into that more, um, I mean, you, you claimed in front of all of us on the air that you literally said to yourself the word blimey. Um, is, it, is that true, Colin? Like, yeah, I, I, I did. Okay. And that was that was in my sort of Mary Poppins days when, okay. when, yeah. when I would sing Chim Chimney and all those right. types of things. Which I assume is just a standard part of British childhood. Um, it is. It is, yeah. absolutely. And we have lots Primary of... school, chimney yeah. school. We have lots of chimney school. sweeps on the on the roofs of London singing with people going up in um, uh, Mary Poppins outfits flying across London. Yeah, it's really good. You're saying this like it is news. This is what I assumed <laughs> your life was like before. Yeah. The only trouble is um, I live in Sarasota now and there's not much call for chimneys in Sarasota. <laughs> That image but, is fantastic. Uh, the, the new reboot of Mary Poppins is actually set in Sarasota. Not a lot of people know that. No. Um, okay. And that's so, silliness. Let's talk about serious stuff now. Um, yeah. So today we're gonna we're gonna talk about the intuitive and rational system. And and this was actually the title. The intuitive customer is the title of this podcast, which came from the title of our uh, Ryan and uh, my book. Uh, called the intuitive customer so ryan why don't you take it away and give us the background to where all this came from a from an academic perspective and then we'll jump into how does this apply in a customer experience and try to make it useful somehow yeah so this is one of the big ideas to come out of uh, psychology and behavioral economics over the last gosh i don't know um 15 or 20 years people have been kind of excited and, and innovated about this idea and doing research on it it's not, to be clear, it's not a new idea. Uh, so it's it's not like somebody um, a few years ago realized, hey, there's there's kind of more than one way of making a decision about how you buy airlines or there's uh, airline tickets. So there's, there's more than one system that people have cognitively. Uh, we can go back at least as far as Aristotle. So Aristotle talked about uh, the mind and the soul being in conflict with each other. And he had this metaphor about 
uh, humans being like a chariot driver where you had two horses which were trying to go in different directions, the mind and the soul, and your job was to, to like rein them both in and get them both going at the same time. Uh, Freud talked about the ego and the id. So people have been talking about this for a long time. But empirical psychologists, people who run experiments and tests, um, have, have been interested in it more recently, and they've documented some very interesting findings around that. So before we get into defining what these two systems are, uh, talking about the implications, let me tell you about a, a study that is one of my favorites. So um, this study was run at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, and they took skilled typists. So these people could type between uh, 72 and 94 words per minute. So that's pretty fast. Yeah. And they gave them all a piece of paper that had a standard keyboard on it, keyboard layout, except all the keys were blank. And they gave them 80 seconds, so almost a minute and a half, to just fill in the keys. So just write the letters in the appropriate places. Um, they got less than 60% right. Wow. Uh, and they left 20% of the, the keys blank, like they couldn't even guess as to what was there. Wow. So, I mean, this is kind of cute and interesting, but it tells us something pretty profound. There are parts of our brain that have information and knowledge and skills that we don't have access to yeah. with the conscious part of our brain, uh, which is alternatively interesting and terrifying, depending on how you, you know, yeah. think about it. Yeah, the way I've always described the that sort of intuitive side is you you know when you turn off the freeway and you you get home and suddenly yep. you go I don't remember driving home. That's uh, right. I I must have, but I clearly was thinking about something else, which is also a little bit scary. Yeah, no, it can be terrifying. You pull into your driveway and, and you say, "I where was the last twenty minutes of my life? Like I have no idea what happened. Um, I don't remember any of that travel." But the reality is that it it's not like you shut off completely and, and there was an alien force driving your car. It was still you. It's just a part of you that's automatic and intuitive. Um, it's the, the metaphor I use, I say it's like your it's like your spleen. Sure. You can't think about your spleen and make it work any harder. You can't speed it up or slow it down. It's just there functioning. Well, there's a part of your brain that's like that, too. And it's this intuitive system. All right, so, so we're ready uh, to define our systems. Yeah, just before we do though, I need to tell you that you've actually you've actually um affected my family life because well, my uh, my eldest daughter has um I've just be, we've just become grandparents. Um and um I always remember you telling me about when a young child is learning to walk mm -hmm. and as they learn to walk they have to focus and concentrate on it to learn how to walk. And if you shout their name when they're walking, then they fall over. And mm -hmm. I've done that, and it definitely works. I have See? to say my daughter wasn't very pleased about it. <laughs> and I assume that you patiently explained to your daughter that you were doing it in the name of science. In the name of science. I said this is all for the name of science. So, you know, the fact it's... that she fell over is um, is an irrelevance. No, I mean, it's it was, it was a worthy trade-off to make, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and uh, I'm sorry you won't be able to see your grandchild again until she's 15. But, you know, again, <laughs> in the name of science. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so let's describe these two systems and then let's talk about how they interact. And, and we'll come back to that very example uh, of walking because I think it illustrates this point well. So we've got these two systems. We've got the intuitive system and the more rational system. 
scientists have settled on these labels, which you and I won't use in the course of the podcast because they're confusing. But um, I, I think people should be aware of them in case they, they hear them somewhere. So uh, psychologists, now behavioral economists, they refer to these two systems as system one and system two. So system one is the intuitive system. System two is the rational system. There's no way you'll be able to remember that without massive amounts of practice. So yeah. let's drop it. We're going we're gonna to call them intuitive and rational. So the intuitive system is the earlier system from an evolutionary standpoint. It's, it's uh, kind of simpler and more basic. It's fast. Uh, it's a parallel processor. Uh, what that means is it can handle more than one task at a time uh, without any noticeable kind of uh, degradation in performance. It can do uh, multitasking. It's automatic. We don't control it directly. Uh, it's associative. That means it likes to pair ideas together. It's responsible for, for kind of forming our memory structures, deciding what ideas go together. It's perceptual and emotional. Um, good. We've got a good handle on that. Yeah, Anything no, absolutely. I mean, this for me is is when people say, and the way I've always sort of defined this is, if people are saying things like, it's obvious, it's clear, my gut tells me this, um, you know, it, it's that automatic, quick decision that you make, but you don't really think about, well, even just using the word think, um, yeah. you're not you're not and now I'm going to use the word rationally you're not rationally thinking about it it's just automatic I think is the is the key thing so when I booked my Delta flight I didn't think that there was another airline I just automatically booked my Delta flight which is clearly where we're trying to get customers to we want customers to make a decision to use your product or service automatically without in quotes thinking yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this um, this process that we go through uh, with system one or with the intuitive system often results in an output that just kind of feels right. Right. That's yeah. what that's what this intuitive system is very good at. It kind of puts information together and then it'll kind of say, yeah, this checks out or no, this doesn't. Or it'll default to a habitual response because that's what uh, it's used to doing. Um, so that. That's system one. Does it feel right? Um, system two is the part of your brain that you are thinking of when you think of you in some fundamental sense. So this is the part that's self-aware. It's slow, relatively speaking. It requires resources, cognitive resources, so it requires concentration. It's a serial processor. That means it's not good at multitasking. Um, it can get overwhelmed. Um it is good at making rules and precise calculations, um, and it is self-aware. This is the part of the brain that composes poetry and does calculus. Okay? Sure. Anything you want to add to kind of definition yeah, of the rational I, side? Well, so I, the way I, from my layman's perspective, would, would sort of – is it goes back to when you're thinking about something. So it, yep. it's a bit like – and I think an important part here uh, is – you know, after you've sat in your office all day and you've not had any exercise, you go home and you're tired. Uh, mm -hmm. And why are you tired? Well, because you've been thinking a lot. You've been using the rational side of your brain a lot. Uh, and I, and I, so if, if 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 someone says, I've been thinking or let me sleep on it or oh, you raise a good point, you know, or probably, 
you know, by definition, you can see the cogs in people's brains starting to go round. And that that for me, again, is that rational side of things that people are actually having to put thought behind it and comparisons, whereas the intuitive side you don't see that because it's automatically and done in a in a in a nanosecond um and i think that's 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 really important yeah um i mean just the time that someone spends on something oftentimes can be an indicator of which system they're employing to make that decision so if it's super fast uh then there's a good chance that it was an intuitive automatic decision if it's something that they deliberate over well, system two is our deliberative system. Oh, sorry, rational. Sorry, I, I, I made this promise to, to not use the confusing terminology. I've been soaking <laughs> in this stuff for 10 years. It's going to be hard. My my intuitive system wants to call them system one and system two. So, yes, uh, yeah, yes. And the problem with that is that, that as we've discussed many times before, yes. academics and marketing don't go well together. So no. calling them system one and system two is not exactly helpful. They, so chose, they chose the least intuitive labels for this intuitive system that they could possibly come <laughs> up with. Yeah. yeah, lucky we're better at it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you are. I keep defaulting back. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, this is kind of cute, right? I mean, it's kind of it's a fun thing to talk about. Part of the reason that this is caught on in both academic and non-academic communities is because there's a lot of profound implications uh, for just looking at human behavior through this lens of two systems. Um, so let's go back to one of the examples that, that you already raised, my favorite experiment to run on young children. Um, one of the things that system two can do, do is train system one to take over stuff that we do a lot. Um, and this has benefits. You and I have talked on previous podcasts about the, um, the importance of something being easy and how yeah. precious our cognitive resources are. Well, system, uh, sorry, the rational system employs a lot of resources, right? They can exhaust you from thinking too much. The intuitive system is essentially free. Um, I mean, it just, it's always there running in the background. And so if we can turn tasks over to the intuitive side, then we no longer need to expend the resources to do it. So one of the things that we early on learn to do intuitively is walking. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Colin, when we're learning to walk, it's a very deliberative process. And we have to think a lot about our balance. We have to concentrate. Over time, we train the intuitive side to take that over to the point where if you have to think deliberatively about walking, you can't do it naturally anymore. Like if you've ever like tried to walk across a stage in front of a large group of people, or I once was interviewed by um, uh, the news, somebody on the news, and, and they said, well, let's get some B-roll footage. Let's just have you walk across the lawn pretending to talk to the anchor person or the, the journalist. And it was the most awkward thing. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I was like jerking one oh, foot in front of the other. It was terrible. Why? Because my rational system no longer has access, just like those typists didn't know where the keys were. I, I can't walk naturally if I think about it too much. The Intuitive Customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. 
That's beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. I think that this is a really important part because, you know, every business talks about wanting to make their experience easy. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but I guess the interesting part for me when I first learned about this is actually what we're talking about is easy, you know, virtually means intuitive. And and we we hear a lot about organizations, particularly people like Apple. And, you know, I love Apple, uh, you know, whose systems are who, whose uh, products are intuitive. In other words, you don't have to think about where do you need to to to, to go, etc. So I, I guess the important bit I'm emphasizing here is when we're saying that things are when your experience is not easy. Yeah. Yeah. People are having to use their rational system, which means they are using energy. You would call it yep. cognitive resources, uh, mm -hmm. which means that they are becoming, you know, th th those cognitive resources are scarce uh, and they don't want to use those. So uh, I think that's the important aspect be between these. But I think the other thing and I'm, um, uh, it, it is the interaction between the two. I find I find fascinating. Yes. Um, yeah. the, so there are a couple of, of important insights around this two system model around thinking about things in terms of rational and intuitive. Um, we, we talked about uh, one of the ways they interact, which is that, that we can train system one. This is one way of thinking about habits uh, is that we train our system one to respond in certain ways to environmental cues. Um, and that in influences, right? So the, I think this was your airline ticket purchase example, Colin. You've purchased so many airline tickets over the years and you've, you've used Delta so consistently that when you're in a setting where you need to buy an airline ticket, your intuitive system says, oh, I, I know what we're supposed to do. I, I know what's supposed to happen. And you automatically open the app or you automatically go to the website yep. before you even deliberatively think about, well, what should I do for this particular flight? No, system one, this intuitive system is like is already there. Uh, says, I know what we should do. So that's a habitual response. You train system one to do that. We can train system one to make decisions or, or to take action. So walking is one, driving is another that we've already mentioned. Typing is one, you know, things like throwing a ball. If you do that a lot, it happens very intuitively and it's easy. If you have to think about it, it becomes slow down. Even complex things. Um, you and I consulted with a, um, a company that ran a large phone bank and this was kind of a specialized phone bank where they were talking to um, other professionals and trying to solve their problems um, related to logistics. Yep. And one of the things that struck me when I, when I sat with these uh, uh, very professional, um, you know, operators is that they had, it wasn't even just one system. They were, they were operating three separate computer systems that were designed to do different things. And they were all custom systems to this company. Yep. Um, and they were all complex. And yet the, the experienced operators there could just fly across these things and they'd be, you know, hitting the tab button seven times, but not eight, because that would get them to the right field that they needed. And all doing this while simultaneously having a conversation over a lousy, um, you know, cell phone connection with this person who had a really strong accent. I mean, it was just it was amazing. That was yeah. an, an intuitive system process. They had trained themselves slowly over time 
to be able to operate this complex piece of equipment. So I think that's one implication. You know, what is it that we're training ourselves to do, that we're training our customers to do? How can we facilitate these more intuitive? So that's one. That's one. But there's more, though. So uh, I think we can also look at this from the perspective of what are people's most likely response modes in certain situations? Right? Yeah. So you and I have talked to clients about this. Are are your clients going to respond intuitively or are they going to respond rationally to this given setting that you're creating to this experience? Yeah. And, and, and therefore, you know, for, for, for me, this is where you, you start to get that interaction. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, and, you know, I'm um, where it's, it's, I find it fascinating that people turn around and say, you know, I'm in two minds about that because yeah. actually you are, yeah. <laughs> you or, are or in two minds. And my mind are in conflict about this. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and some of these I think are the interesting ones of, you know, I, I don't know, you, you, let's assume that you want to buy a watch. Okay. Um, and your intuitive system says, Oh, go and buy this watch. This is a really good watch. Um, and, you know, maybe it's cheap or maybe it's, you know, really expensive. I don't know. Um, but, you know, your rational system then turns around and goes, hold on, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I want, you know, you're 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 passing a, a bowl of ice cream. Uh, oh, that would be nice to have. Well, hold on. I'm not sure if that's a good idea. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're overweight enough as it is. So I, the really interesting part for me is is that conflict between the two. Um, and, and, you know, whether, which one, w which one wins out and depending upon many different factors, not least of which is how tired somebody is and all the rest of it that can, uh, affect those, affect those things. Um, yeah. So when, when I talk to clients about this, um, the, like you basically have two approaches, two choices you can take. Um, you can meet people where they're at uh, with regards to these two systems, or you can try to move them to where you want them to be. So um, the easier approach is to meet them where they're at. So, you know, can we figure out based on the setting? So are we dealing with clients often at the end of a long day? Um, is that when our interactions with them happen? Uh, are we dealing with them when they're very distracted? They have a bunch of kids with them while they're shopping uh, at a very emotional point in time. Uh, all of these things will lead people towards being more intuitive decision makers. Yeah. Is this an extremely important decision for them? Uh, are they likely to have done a lot of research beforehand to figure out? These are more rational approaches. If we can figure that out, we can meet our customers where they're at. We can design experiences that are more likely to appeal to intuitive decisions or more likely to appeal to rational decisions. So, so yeah. that's one. Can we meet them? The other is, can we move them? So if our product line or our experience is just much better from a rational perspective, like that's just, that's the nature of what we're selling. We win if our customers are, are thinking rationally about this. Well, then what can we do to change people's mindsets? Can we make this seem more important? Can we provide more incentives towards them? Can we make sure that we are only engaging with our customers in settings where they're not likely to be tired or distracted, right? So can we can we encourage them to change their mindset in a way that's more favorable to us, either rational or intuitive? 
Yeah, and and I think those are really important. Um, you know, the the ones I would add is, you know, if a customer is feeling stressed or yeah. Uh, and and particularly for me, I'm useless at multitasking. So, you know, how many times I've turned around and said, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I need to concentrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because if you're multitasking, then, then again, that, that becomes an issue. But where this all ends up manifesting itself is, um, so if your intuitive system uh, let's assume that you're going to go out and buy a new GoPro or a you know camera, and your intuitive system goes, "Hey, buy one of these," and your rational system goes, "Oh, well, you know what? I'm I'm not sure if that's a good idea, but you know what? I'm too tired to, too tired, too stressed, too hurried, too distracted to argue with right. you." You mm-hmm. then go off and buy that product. Uh, and then guess what happens the next day? The next day right. you think, you know, and again, it's interesting you always use the word think, uh, rational system. Uh, you think, oh, I shouldn't have bought that really, should I? And then guess what happens? You take it back. Mm-hmm. And so you can start to tell, you know, um, one of the ways of telling which which system your customer is using is if you're going to start getting a lot of returns. And that can make you start to go, well, is it because our customers are tired? Are they distracted? Is it the wrong thing? You know, and then you can start to look at designing your experience to to do what Ryan talked about around, you know, meet or move. And particularly, um, I think in the B2B world, if you if there is a if there is a organization, you're, you know, if you're selling a large complex product and there's one organization that's the, the go to organization, you know, that, that that famous phrase of nobody ever got sacked for buying IBM. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, well, actually, you may want to use your, as Ryan said, push people towards the more rational side of things. Uh, because actually, if you stack your product up against these, the other people's product, you can actually demonstrate that there's there's a difference. So for us, it's really, 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 really important that you understand where your customer is. And and certainly when we do journey mapping, we, we call it behavioral journey mapping. Um, you we map where we believe the customer is from an intuitive and a rational perspective. Uh, because, you know, in the what we would call the as is journey, uh, in other words, what the experience is like today and then move it to the to be journey, because the to be journey um, will, you know, um, will be the experience that you're trying to deliver for the future. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, are you trying to make it easy or are you actually trying to get your customers to uh, to think a bit more? So this is for me, this is always been fundamental, which is why uh, I go back to it, why we why we called the uh, the book, uh, the intuitive customer and the podcast, the intuitive customer. Uh, so this has already been really been fundamental. So, um, uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm conscious of, of time. Any 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 last gems of wisdom from your good self on, you know, so go to our normal question, which is, so what? What does this mean? What does this mean that people should do? So, I mean, I'll, I'll uh, leave with one more interpretation that I think we got to indirectly, but just to kind of emphasize it and make sure it's stated out right. Sometimes when we first hear about this, 
we kind of uh, there's a temptation to see system one as the enemy. Um, so you know, system uh, or sorry, the intuitive system is the enemy, and and the rational system that's that's the real you, and and the intuitive system just leads you astray. And so we we want to try to overcome this, or if we anticipate that customers are going to be making intuitive decisions, then we're we're really taking advantage of them, and and that's it's uh, unethical or or problematic. We're always talking about you. We're always talking about the full person and their their full mind. Um, it's it's not that the rational system always always makes better decisions and the intuitive system always makes mistakes. Not at all. There are many situations where there are well documented rational system biases. If we overthink something, we can um, you know place too much weight on the wrong thing and make the wrong decision. So take a realistic approach about just what people are doing, um, not that one is the right way and one is, one is the wrong way. There are times when you will make a better decision if you let your intuitive system take over more of it. Uh, in terms of, of what people can do with it, uh, I'll just reemphasize the point you made at the end. Um, you are already creating a mental model of how your customers decide things. Um, that's the way you've made all the decisions about your customer experience already. What we hope that we're doing in this podcast and with this topic in particular, can we help you make a more accurate mental model? Can we help you better understand some of the things that might be at play with your customer? And once you've done that, then you're in a better position to meet them where they're at or move them to where you need them to be. So uh, this is all about understanding people better. Yeah, I, and I agree. And I think for for me, it's, it's uh, practically, it's then into going okay, when I'm doing my journey mapping, um, then where do we think that customers are using the intuitive and rational system? And when we do journey mapping with clients, you know, where do we want them to be using their intuitive and rational system? And Mm -hmm. let's bear in mind that there is clearly absolutely a linkage between the word intuitive and easy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that that's absolutely key. Uh, and by definition, it needs to be you need to it needs to be deliberate. You need mm. to deliberate over it and think about it. So um hope that's been of use uh, today. Um, and um, we look forward to um, uh, talking to you on next week on the intuitive customer. Thanks very much. So this is Colin. I promise to be back with you at the end of the show. If you want to undertake our self-assessment and get a free report, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash assessment. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash assessment. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.